me, and I apologize for that. But anyway, we're going to go to the Scriptures, and we're going to find out what the Bible has to say about this concept of missions. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Open your Bibles, if you would, please. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse number 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, in reverence to the Word of God, to stand with me uh, as we read. We're going to, I'm going to read it out loud, and you can follow along silently. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. I thank you for the faithfulness of your people. We thank you, Father, that even in this unstable age, there are people who would dedicate themselves to you. There are people who would seek you above all others. And there are people that are involved in spreading the gospel around the world. I pray that we will not lose sight of this, our most important task. And Lord, I ask that you would forgive us where we have been distracted and not focused on that task as we should have. I want to pray that you would bless our missions emphasis this year and Lord, that you would draw us as a church closer to yourself and that you would empower us anew by your Holy Spirit that we may be uh, more faithful, more effective in the job that you've given us to do. And once again, Father, I want to pray today as your vessel that you would forgive me of sin, that you would fill me with the power of your Spirit, that you would use my voice today to communicate your truth to the hearts of those who are here. And Father, I pray that your Spirit would convict us, that you would draw us, that you would convince us of the changes that need to be made in our lives. You would encourage us and prepare us for the battle. And as always, I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't yet know you, that they would hear enough of the gospel today to recognize their need of a Savior and that they would be born again before they leave here. Mostly, Father, I ask you to glorify yourself in all that we do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. We are entering into the time of year that's crucial to the identity and the function of the First Baptist Church of Webster. We often tend to call our missions emphasis time a missions revival because evangelism and missions are so intricately connected to, every, to the very life force of this or, or really any true New Testament church. We know that missions or revival, for that matter, are, are not about coming to church an extra night or two during the week. It's not about scheduling extra services, although that's not necessarily a bad thing, you understand. 
The Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so sometimes we do schedule special services for this time of year. Uh, this year is not one of those years. You actually get to get this just coming by coming to church on Sunday. And so that hopefully will be a blessing to you. But uh, missions, revival, it's not about the services per se. The whole concept is a renewing of vision from the Word of God that will in turn revive us for the fulfilling of the great endeavor with which we've been entrusted. We're not here as believers in Jesus Christ to occupy space. We're not here to waste time in meaningless ritual. We're not here to entertain one another on a social level. Our calling is to propagate the gospel, to do everything in our power, yea, and beyond our power, to see that everyone in our generation at least have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When our focus shifts from this and when our activity becomes empty and vain, when the dying process is accelerated in our church. Over the next three weeks, we'll be emphasizing missions. We actually began last week as we were talking about uh, bearing the keys or using the keys that God has entrusted to us, and this will continue on for the next three weeks. Contrary to popular opinion, the missions program or the missions emphasis is not about getting your money, so you can rest at ease uh, with that knowledge. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, giving every child of God the opportunity to be obedient to the Lord's command and to experience the unsurpassable blessing that comes from being a part of something that truly makes a difference for eternity. Also about experiencing firsthand the often unexpected ways that God intervenes in our lives in order to stretch our faith and to increase our supply as we act in obedience to him. For today, I want to draw your attention to the, de- to the task uh, itself with a rather direct message drawn from a couple of key passages One is the passage that we've just read in Philippians chapter 4, and another is actually stretches from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10. Now, don't get excited. We're not going to do an in-depth exposition of all three of the chapters in 2 Corinthians and also the book of Philippians. Hopefully, one of these days we'll do that again, but that's not our purpose here this morning. One of the passages that we're dealing with, obviously, is the passage here in Philippians chapter 4. This message is actually going to be a continuation of our series, What's a Church to Do? And in answer to that question today, we're going to simply reply, do missions. And we'll talk about why in the scriptures. First thing I want to point out to you as we get started this morning are some command principles that we find in the Word of God. We have over and over again, and I'm sure that you're familiar with many of these, and we'll try not to bore you with the details. I wish I were better at telling stories, you know. Uh, Sometimes that that would help to keep people awake, maybe. Uh, But obviously, the command of Jesus Christ has not changed. Uh, The command of Jesus Christ is still a command to go. Many times in the New Testament, we find repeated this command in various words. In fact, very quickly, if you'll go through them with me, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and, and teaching them to observe all things where whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And then in Mark 16, and verse 15, he said, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. John chapter 20, verse 21, Then said Jesus unto them again, 
peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, we didn't go into all of the passages this morning, but I want you to note or remember that every one of the Gospels gives us the command of Jesus Christ, the final command, if you will, the marching orders for the church that he had established to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. That's reiterated for us again in the book of Acts, and Acts proceeds then to give us the blueprint for how that's to be accomplished. Uh, and that's something else I want to point out to you is in the book of Matthew, where it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Uh, we don't necessarily pick this up in our uh, English, but in the Greek language, the going is actually understood. The command in that, uh, in that particular verse is the command to preach or to teach all nations. In essence, uh, the understanding is while you're going, since you're going to be going anywhere, anyway, be teaching, be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, be teaching men uh, to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Also want to point out that in the book of Acts, the first chapter, the one that's on the screen here, uh, the areas that are to be evangelized, that is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. Did you notice that in that verse it doesn't say first to Judea and then to, or excuse me, first to Jerusalem and then to Judea and then to Samaria and then to the uttermost part of the earth? It says both. You say, now, wait a minute, both. There are four things mentioned there, uh, but I think you get the meaning. Uh, the understanding is that all of these things are to be done at the same time. So while we are evangelizing, while we're preaching the gospel in our Jerusalem, which for us is Webster, Texas, uh, we're also to be involved in spreading the gospel out to the uttermost parts of the earth uh, through the uh, Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria uh, concept. No church can truly call itself a New Testament church of Jesus Christ if it's not involved in this great endeavor. In other words, if we're not preaching the gospel around the world, if we're not involved in sending the gospel to the ends of the earth, uh, then we're not legitimately, uh, can't legitimately call ourselves a church. And no believer, by the way, can be obedient to the command of Jesus Christ without participating in this great work of the church. To be brutally honest, we've not been doing enough either here or abroad. There's always more that needs to be done, and many times it's because of our simple lack of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's the command to go. But you understand that the command doesn't stop there. There's also a command to preach or declare. As we're going, what are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be declaring publicly and openly the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is the second command principle that you find in the Scriptures, if you will. Uh, Just let me remind you here, while lifestyle evangelism is important, it's important to live your Christianity before others so that others will know that Jesus dwells in you and they will see that something's different about you and they'll be interested in knowing what it is that's changed about you. Can I just be real honest with you? I can remember probably maybe two people in my lifetime, and I've been in ministry for, wow, longer than I want to admit, Uh, probably 40 years in all at this point since I started uh, when I was very, very young. Uh, But but the point is, I can remember maybe two people in all of my lifetime that from watching my life uh, said, Tommy, something's different about you. What is it? And I had the opportunity to win them to Christ. Now, that may be something saying something about my lifestyle. I'm not sure. Uh, But the reality is that lifestyle evangelism alone is not enough. 
God commands us to go, and as we go, we are to preach. We are to declare uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21 reads thusly, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise? Excuse me. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I got sidetracked there. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17, the Bible says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we like that part, right? Amen? That's the important part, trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, calling upon Him for salvation. But then it goes on and puts the onus, in a sense, on us as believers, those of us who have already called on Jesus Christ. In verse 14, he says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The Bible says in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God has only made one plan to save the world, folks, and that is by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to go everywhere in the world and declare to lost men everywhere that, yes, they're condemned in their sin. Yes, they stand guilty before a righteous and just God, but that God in his great love made provision for that by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in their stead. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. It also tells us that by sin comes death. And so Jesus took upon himself our curse. He has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took upon himself our curse when he hung on the tree. He died and shed his blood so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be adopted into the family of God, so that we might receive the inheritance of eternal life. We could go on and on, all the gifts that we get because Jesus Christ died for us, that he was buried, he rose again the third day. Listen, folks, this is good news. But did you know that probably two-thirds of the world today still doesn't have an idea, doesn't have a clue that Jesus Christ died for them out of of God's great love for us? Most of the world has never yet heard, and the Bible tells us that faith only will come as they hear the Word of God. And so we have a responsibility to go and to preach. So the command is to preach or declare. Uh, We have to go and, and herald aloud, openly, publicly, what Jesus Christ has done. Acts chapter 5 verse 42 says this, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Can I remind you, Christians, that our responsibility as we go forth into this world, and I've mentioned this a number of times, but it bears repeating here again, most of our service to God is actually not done right here in this church house. Now listen, we serve God in the church and praise God for people who are willing to pitch in and and participate. And I thank the Lord for all of those who are willing to work and do things that need to be done and preach and teach and sing and and clean the the buildings and, and go on visitation and all the different things that we do. I praise the Lord for all of those folks. But listen, if every one of us were to go out every day of our lives and carry that gospel of Jesus Christ with us and obey the command of Scripture to openly proclaim that gospel, What kind of a difference would it make? 
first in our community, and then as we begin to recognize our responsibility around the world. I understand that not everyone is called to what we call vocational ministry. Not everyone is called to stand behind a pulpit like I am doing this morning and speak publicly to a bunch of people about the gospel. Somebody said, well, I just don't have a public speaking voice. Or I, you know, it makes me scared to death uh, to stand up in front of folks. Can I be real honest with you? It does me too. <laughs> Especially, well, never mind. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to be nice. Uh, but, but the point is, not every one of us is called to public speaking in that sense. But every one of us is commanded by the gospel, by the, by the word of God, to publicly proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior. So preaching is proclaiming in a personal witness. Going back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power. This is the power that we receive from the Holy Ghost after the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And this is what is the natural result of receiving that power of the Holy Spirit. What happens? We become witnesses unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning here, going out at the same time into all of our Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so that's the second command. And the third command is very similar. And this is the one that everybody kind of shies away from. And everybody ducks their head when we get to this point. But let me tell you something, folks. We preach giving not because we want to get something out of you, but because we want the blessing of God upon your life. Okay? I believe in the concepts of Scripture. Can I be honest with you? Somebody said it's about time, right? <laughs> no. But there are some things. Quite frankly, there are many things in the Scripture that just personally I don't like. You know? Uh, there, there are many things that I'm reading or if I, I hear someone preaching or teaching the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God will just kind of take it and twist it uh, within my soul and make me feel guilty and make me feel bad because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing or I'm doing things that I ought not to be doing. And all of that's good, you understand. It's to help me to grow and become more like what I ought to be as a child of God and to better reflect the image of Jesus Christ by whose name I'm called. But one of the things that, for whatever reason, we have a tendency to shy away from, and it may be because there are so many shysters out there that want to do all of this for love of filthy lucre, I hope you understand that that's not the purpose here. The purpose, that we're, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that God has given us in the Scriptures a principle, which is the principle of giving, and one of the commands that we have, the command principles of this missions concept, is the giving principle. I want to call it the reciprocal nature of sacrificial giving. And by, what, by that, what I mean is, and, and we've talked about this before, but it's an amazing thing to me. You understand that everything that we have already comes from God, including life itself. Uh, we wouldn't be here except that God gives to us the breath, of, the breath of life. It is he that giveth the power to get wealth. I have the ability to get up and go to work every day because God has given me the strength to do that. God has blessed us in great ways, and so God sustains us. And we understand that we don't depend on money for our living. We don't depend on a job for our living. We don't depend on any of these things. We depend on God. Are we all in agreement on that? And since God has blessed us, the tremendous thing, a concept for me, is that God who doesn't need anything, God who has all things, they already belong to him. He giveth us all things richly uh, to enjoy. And yet God, in the things that he's given to us, he asks us to be good stewards of that which is his. And as a mark of our good stewardship, we are to, we are to return to God a portion. Right? And we know that that has to do with our, with our tithes. But it also has to do with our sacrificial offerings. 
These are things that simply God lays upon our hearts. We pray about it. We seek the Lord's will. And we give over and above that which is already God's uh, because uh, God has commanded it, because we want to experience his blessing. But the wonderful thing about all this is that God says when you do that, that he's going to multiply it back into you. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get wealthy by giving to God. Although, by the way, I've, known, I've heard stories of people that have. Uh, understand that that's not the reason we give to the Lord. But God does promise us that we will not lack because of our commitment to him. Go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, the passage that we started with. The Bible says, uh, and this, of course, is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He says, not because I desire a gift. that I'm, I'm not here to get something out of you. Rather, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul understood that there were some places that the people in Macedonia, the Philippians, could not go. There were some people that they could not witness to. We can only be in one place at a time. And so he said, as I go, I'm going representing you that you may have fruit that abounds to your account because of the gift that you're giving to me. Verse 18, but I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent for from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing. I love that part. The fact that what they gave to the ministry of the Apostle Paul, God said that that's an odor of a sweet smell. It's a sacrifice that's acceptable. It's well-pleasing to God. But then verse 19, in the direct context, and never take this verse out of context, folks, in the direct context of giving back to God, he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, listen, he doesn't say you'll never have need. Earlier on in the chapter, he said, I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to suffer need, right? He doesn't say we'll never have a need. He just says that when we have a need, he'll supply it. And he'll supply it according to his will and his plan. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11 says this, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. So you want to be stingy with God? Fine. God can be stingy too. He doesn't like to be. He doesn't want to be. But he can. He says, if you sow sparingly, you, uh, you'll reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Now, verse 7 is important because this is intentional giving. This is something that you've prayed about. This is something that you've sought the leadership and the will of the Holy Spirit of God about. You ask God for his leadership, and then you commit. You make a purpose. You decide on purpose to give to God that which he's placed on your heart. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly. That old preacher, he's just making me give, right? No, 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 no. Listen, not grudgingly of necessity, but uh, the Bible says, for, uh, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And most of you that have been around here for a while know that we're talking about a hilarious giver. The Greek word, uh, root word there is the same root as the word hilarious. God loves those that hilariously give, uh, love what they're doing, and being able to give back to God. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. I love the, the superlative use of the word all there in that particular verse. Uh, every time, all the time, God makes all grace abound toward you. Uh, verse 9, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now, he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food. That means you're not going to go hungry because you gave to God, right? He ministers bread for your food, he multiplies your seed sown, and he increases the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says it probably more succinctly and more precisely than some of the others. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together and running over 
shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Listen, folks, let me just tell you this, and I'll move on. Uh, the people, those of us who ignore the biblical principles concerning giving and receiving are ignoring a great portion of the Scriptures themselves. The Bible talks a lot about this, and we need to bear it in mind as we approach our missions emphasis time. God blesses us for what we give to him. But let me talk real quickly to you about the principles that are exemplified in the passage that we've read in other passages as well. The best example for what we're talking about, obviously, is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. We do what we do because we've seen, we've seen it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our goal as disciples of Christ is to be like him, right? We know that ultimately the perfection of the saints is when we are conformed to his image. When we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, the Bible says. And we're looking forward to the day that we're just the spitting image of Jesus Christ. In the meantime, we're working on it. And the Holy Spirit is working on us, on it in us. And he's conforming us daily to his image. Uh, if we want to be like Jesus, I want to remind you that Jesus had a heart of a giver. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Same context, by the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that was in the, the list of passages that I gave you that, uh, that deal with our concepts of faith, promise, missions, and the reason that we give the way that we give. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, the Bible's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here, says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things of heaven, in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which you also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Can I tell you, folks, that this epitomizes giving, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Second Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. What I'm trying to tell you, folks, is that this is the gospel that we preach. The ability of the Lord Jesus Christ to transform men. All of this was based on his willingness to obey the will of the Father and to give beyond and above all that any man could ever ask or think. Leaving first his position in glory with his Father. Coming down to this old mud ball, as someone has said. In order to live amongst us dirty, rotten sinners and to look like us to be counted as one of us, with the only exception being that he was tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin. And then ultimately he gave his life. He gave his blood so that we might be redeemed from the curse of sin. Folks, listen. Jesus gave all there was to give. And this is the gospel we preach. It's all about the Lord who gave it all in order to grant us the riches of his righteousness. 
I want you to note that the Lord's giving is without limit. And also that the Lord's giving is without reservation. Now, very quickly, let me point out to you, if I can, a second example. The Lord Jesus Christ, obviously, is our prime example. The second example is the churches of Macedonia. This is where I wish that I could tell you uh, stories. I wish I was a little bit better at, uh, you know, uh, telling the, uh, the story of all that takes place. But I, I love to use the scriptures. The Bible tells us what kind of a church this church at Philippi was. Philippi was located in the region of Macedonia. And if you go back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, you may need to look that up in your Bibles. The Bible says there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, that is, we want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And then he proceeds to tell about the great uh, grace of God that was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. This is talking about, I believe, the church in Philippi, who sent once and again to Paul's necessity, and the first thing that it says in verse 2 is that they gave in spite of their poverty and their deep trial. Somebody said, well, preacher, I just don't have it to give. I can't afford to give to the Lord. To which I say, maybe that's why you don't have it, because you don't give it to the Lord, right? Now, listen, folks, I learned a long time ago, and I'm not trying to be facetious here. I'm not trying to be uh, pat my own back or, or anything like that, but uh, I can't afford not to give to the Lord. Because I know that he blesses me. Second Corinthians 8 verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. Secondly, I want you to notice that they gave beyond their power. Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 3, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. They were willing of themselves. Now listen, where did the power to give come from? If it was beyond their power, where did it come from? It came from God. God gave them that ability. They were able to trust him for more than they were able uh, to do themselves. They gave beyond their power. It reminds me of the passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to his power that worketh in us. I wonder how many of us really believe that. I mean, really. We say, oh, yeah, I believe in the power of God. But then when it comes to the time to prove it, we're not willing to believe that God is willing to do, are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Folks, what I'm trying to tell you, and I, I'm not trying to be mean, but I want you to understand, according to the Scriptures, that if we're not giving in this way, then we're not truly experiencing the miraculous power of God. We're not seeing the exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think power in this area or in many other areas of our lives. You'll notice well that they gave willingly, verses 3 and 4, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They gave more, uh, they gave willingly. Paul wasn't begging them to give, you understand. They were begging him to receive it and to receive it as to the Lord. Philippians chapter 4 is the passage where we started. And Philippians chapter 4 has a great deal of content with regard to the principles that I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. I'm obviously not going to take the time uh, this morning to go through everything in great detail other than just to say that there are a number of principles that are involved. And I'll list them for you if you'll allow me. The first one is the contentment principle. First, the contentment principle is found in Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13, where he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, or I am, therewith to be content. Now, somebody said that means Texas or Oklahoma. It doesn't. It's talking about his economic state. 
And it says in verse 12, for I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. And everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then catch verse 13. Did you catch the context? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Paul was determined to follow Christ's command in seeking the kingdom, serving Jesus first. He was willing to obey the commands or the instructions given by Jesus himself in the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and of his righteousness. And all these things uh, shall be added unto you. And it continues on in that same line. He was determined to follow Christ's command in seeking the kingdom and serving Jesus first. He didn't need their help. He wasn't dependent on them. He was dependent on God. But he said, this is the contentment principle, that I am willing to take whatever God gives, and I'm willing to go and to rest in him completely. I wonder how many of us are willing to live according to the contentment principle. Then there was the love principle. And again, we don't have time to get into all of this in detail, but they were faithful in giving anyway because of their love for God, because of their love for God's work, because of their great love for God's servant, and ultimately because of the love that God had instilled in them, in them the, the same love that he has for the world at large. You know, the Bible still says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we reflect that love for the world uh, when we participate in this plan. There's the fruit principle. Why did they give? Because of fruit that would abound to their account. Philippians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Real quickly, in closing this morning, let me, let me try to wrap this up if I can. Why is it that we do missions the way that we do through this thing that we call our faith promise? Many of you are are aware of the fact that we at First Baptist don't take a percentage of the general fund offering and send it to missionaries. Rather, we take commitments from God's people uh, as they are willing to prayerfully consider what God would have them to do. They trust God and they make a commitment before God and God alone that this is what the Lord wants them to do for the cause of missions over the course of the next year, and then they trust in God to supply that as the year goes by. Somebody says, well, what if God doesn't supply it? Then obviously you're no, under no obligation uh, to fulfill it. But I also want to remind you that many times God supplies it and we use it for other things, right? And so that's just something to keep in mind. Why do we do it the way that we do it? Well, I believe that it's the Bible way to do it. It's the way that God tells us to give on purpose, Also, we do it because it allows us as a church to do more collectively toward world evangelism. I mentioned to you that many churches take 10% of the general fund offering and give it to missions. Do you understand that historically, at least, over the last 10 or 12 years, and probably longer than that, uh, the, the percentage of giving in our church hasn't been 10%, but closer to 30%. In other words, we're giving nearly a third of our total offerings go to world evangelism. And that's a good thing. God blesses us for that uh, as we give more collectively uh, to the cause of world evangelism. I also want to remind you that the process that we use, and this is not preaching, this is just explaining, all right? Uh, But the process that we use as you make your commitments to the Lord on the little pink card that you should be receiving in a few moments, as you make your commitment to the Lord, uh, we don't 
worst chase you down. In fact, we ask you not to put your name on the card. Uh, but the trustees and myself will take uh, the commitments that are made, we will compare them to actually what was given last year on a weekly basis, and we'll try to form some kind of a faith budget based on that for the coming year. Now, we understand that things change and uh, things don't always come through as they ought to. I think we're on pace right now of about 80%. Uh, toward our commitment from last year. The last couple of years, God has blessed us, and we've exceeded commitment, and that's always a great thing when that happens, right? Uh, but we're, uh, we use that to actually budget what we do as far as supporting our missionaries, adding new missionaries, and so forth. Uh, we do faith promise this way because it allows you personally to fulfill the Great Commission. Can I tell you that you cannot be obedient to the Great Commission of Christ, at least any way that I've found, any other way? How am I going to go to all the world to preach the gospel? The only way I can find to do it is to send others to go where I can't go, to deputize others to represent our church and us as individuals. It also allows you as individuals to experience the blessings directly from God that come through giving. There's a faith principle. Perhaps we'll get into that the next time. Maybe our missionaries next week will explain that a little bit uh, more. The promise as expressed frequently in the, Lord, in the New Testament. Can God do what he has said that he will do? And the obvious answer is no. But I want to re- go back very quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, uh, if I can. And uh, I've gotten completely out of order here. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, the Bible says this. This they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of of God. They first gave themselves. Can I challenge you here this morning? The first way to begin to honor God is by surrendering yourself to God. Through accepting His gift of salvation, through accepting Jesus Christ as only Lord and Savior. And then having done that through surrendering fully to His will to do whatever God would lead you to do. Be fully obedient to Him in regard, with regard to where you attend church and, and how you serve God, through what capacity uh, you minister to those that are around you. Surrender to be obedient in prayer and giving. You surrender to go yourself if God should call you. I, I fully believe, folks, that in a church our size, there are people that God has called to go to the mission field. And some have answered the call and then gone back on their commitments. Some have not yet heard the call because we're distracted by the things of the world. But I wonder if we're being fully surrendered to the Lord. Have you trusted Jesus Christ this morning as your only personal Savior and your sufficient Lord? Are you depending on Him and Him alone for your soul salvation, for the transformation of your life down here on this earth? If you've not, then we will invite you to come and allow us to take the Scriptures and show you how you can trust Him today. Who knows but what this may be the last opportunity that you have. If you have trusted him, are you involved in this, the greatest endeavor on earth? Are you doing your part to make sure that your generation has the opportunity to receive of his love and grace? Let me remind you, folks, that God can save this generation without you. But he has chosen to give you the opportunity to participate. In fact, he's commanded you to be involved. How's your personal witness? Have you talked to anyone about the gospel this week? How about this month? Have you talked to anybody this year about the gospel? I dare say there are people here that have known the Lord for a long, long time and have never once spoken to anyone about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Are you trusting God to do what he says and demonstrating that trust by stepping out in obedience? Are you sending missionaries? Are you letting everyone else do your part and receive your blessing? I figure there's probably a lot that we need to get right with God this morning. I'm going to ask you if you would please to stand. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. After we do, then we're going to have a brief invitation time. The invitation, of course, is your opportunity to be obedient to the Lord. I will be waiting down front. If there's something that you need to pray about, especially if you need to be saved, you need to unite with our church in the way that we receive members, uh, anything along those lines, perhaps you just want to come and pray. The altars are open. Heavenly Father, will you take our invitation time? Would you use it for your glory? Would you cause your people to want to be obedient? And then, Lord, I pray that you would answer according to your promise in blessing us as we serve you. Glorify yourself, I pray, in this invitation in Jesus' name.